0: Welcome to a deep dive into why neurolinguistic programming, NLP, might be failing to deliver the results you want. On this podcast, we will address the misconceptions as well as the widespread misinformation about NLP on the internet by content creators who claim to be NLP certified. And we're going to talk about the overall mindset that will make NLP work for you. And as usual, I'm joined by my guests, Yulia and Nate
1: if you would like the notes of this discussion make sure you check the description we prepared their uh, quick guide that you can go over if you don't have the time to listen to it
2: hey everybody it's good to see you uh, damon do you do you mind if we start off with um a little bit about why you initially started to study nlp absolutely
0: I, my intersections with nlp throughout my life up until i decided to do formal training always showed me that nlp was something very powerful something very effective even when i didn't understand really what it was and by the time i was getting through my second depression i thought to myself okay i really don't want to do this all over again i say second depression so i didn't want a third one and i thought okay well i have to start taking my mental health uh as serious and the same way that one would take their physical health you have to it's an ongoing thing you can't just you know when you break down then go to the doctor or then go to the, you know a, a therapist i wanted to maintain my music, uh, my physical health and i wanted to fix my business i wanted to fix my marriage there was a lot of problems going on in my life that was the reasons why i was depressed and so i thought okay i'm in santa cruz where nlp was created and to my surprise, when I got there, there was not any institutes that I could find, but there was one uh, every that would only train every summer. And when I realized that, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go take this training. It's two and a half weeks long. I couldn't afford it. I also couldn't afford to be out of my office uh, for two and a half weeks." But I looked at the long term costs, which was if I fall into another depression again, that I could actually quantify that in terms of money lost. Uh, sure. Time out of my our lack of productivity in my office. So I finally said, "Okay, I'm, it's worth it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I believe in this. I've
2: experienced it. I know it's going to work." And so I went into my first training. It um, when you when you when people come to you to study NLP, um, do you know why most of them are are, are coming to work with you?
0: There's a, a variety of reasons. I get anywhere from you know i know i'm not living up to my potential to i have a very specific like goal that i want to achieve mm-hmm. um i'm just not happy i'm just not fulfilled or i'm not motivated um it, it, it's a wide range i think the one that's becoming more common is imposter syndrome i've had a lot of i get to work with uh very successful people now uh, i guess my exposure on the on youtube has caught the attention of some very successful people and then they come in and it's like on paper they are, on paper, they're far more successful than I've ever been, yet they're wondering why they're not fulfilled or why they're not enjoying life. How is it that they did all the stuff that they were supposed to do or told that they would do? If they did, they would be happy. You know, they've got the money, the cars, the house, the, the family even, and they just can't enjoy it. And they don't feel like it's real and they don't feel like it's something that they, uh, they deserve. And and so if you don't feel like that, if you're feeling like that, you're going to lose it. That's commonly what happens, and that's so. There's a lot of fear around
2: that, and so I get to work with those uh, those kinds of people as well. So so taking a step back, do you know, what what do you think everyone has in common that is studying NLP? I think in general, whether they verbalize it this way or not, is they're not living
0: up to their potential. I, and i was gonna say a lot of coaches to come to me and they feel the same way that they could be better coaches and they're they're just not or they're not their their business their coaching business isn't working that well you know something in there is is not going very well so we i do get a lot of coaches either coaches who i coach or coaches who we train
2: and why do you think they're they're focused on nlp as a solution
0: that's a good question i don't really ask them (laughs) that often um, I think it has a reputation and sometimes that's a good reputation and a bad reputation which I want to talk a little bit about um, mm-hmm. because what inspired this for me this this wanting to talk about this on this podcast was mm-hmm. I'm working on a reaction video to someone who did actually two videos really just panning NLP and, and talking about how it's you know it's bad, it's manipulative and the examples she gives, and I'm not gonna name her name yet, the video will come out. Uh, The examples she gives are people on TikTok who are, what they're doing uh, is called, they're calling it NLP and it's really not. And so I think the legend and the myth of NLP has grown to the point where people are just calling a, a lot of different things NLP and it's really not, it's based I think it's rooted in its effectiveness, it's rooted in how fast it typically works. Mm -hmm. And so they wanna slap that on to what they're doing because they know when you put NLP on something, it's gonna get a certain amount of attention. And uh, so it it has quite a bit of a reputation. And I think when you've done a lot of things like law of attraction and the secret, and you kind of run through all the personal development stuff out there, try it out, willpower, self-discipline, affirmations, goal setting. After a while, you kind of run out of stuff that because it's not working. And so you're looking for something that is a more cohesive sort of technology. And I think a lot of people at that point say, I'm gonna try this NLP thing. And, and on top of that, I think uh, the popularity of Tony Robbins has probably had a lot to do with that as well.
2: Sure, sure. With so many people studying NLP and trying to be, use it to its potential, um, why do you think so few people are actually very good at it?
0: Well, that's, that's where I, I'll, this is where we really get into what I, <laughs> I want to talk about. So good question. It uh, kind of teased me up to uh, get into some of these things. And I think uh, a, a big part of it is people think that the techniques, the NLP techniques are what NLP is. They think that the techniques are somehow magic and there's something to that. The the techniques are extremely effective. And if all you do is practice NLP techniques and you never have the mind shift that I'm going to talk about that you really need to have, it will get you somewhere. It is effective. Um, So I I think that's where, where people are putting their attention in the wrong place. So putting their attention on the techniques rather than cultivating the skills. And I remember Judith Delosier. Um, she was uh, married to John Grinder, one of the founders of NLP and one of my first teachers, she teaches uh, at NLP university. I don't know if they're still doing that, but she, when I was when I went to NLP university, it was her and Robert Diltz mm-hmm. and I got to, and Judy still lives in uh, Santa Cruz. So periodically we go and have coffee together, She's a wonderful, wonderful person. And one time she told me, don't put so much emphasis on the techniques because the techniques will fail at times. Sometimes it's just either the, not the right technique or the technique is just not fit for uh, it, it can't handle what it is that you're trying to do. And she said, But your skills will never fail you. So she said, You know, use the techniques to cultivate the skills, but put your attention more on the skill rather than the technique. And that was some of the best advice. I got, especially early on. Now, later, I meet Steve Andreas, who's very much about the techniques and, and precision. And so that, I don't think, at first, I thought that those were two contradictory things, what Judy was saying and what Steve was saying. Now, I've come to realize they're not. They're, But it's really hard to explain how they're not. And if I start trying to go down that rabbit hole, I think it's going to take us away from what we're uh, really going into. And unless you're really advanced at NLP, um, you're probably not going to understand that stuff anyway. It's probably just going to make, it's probably, you know, it's just going to be more confusing than anything else. So I remember in trainings, uh, especially when I started resource coaching for teachers. So you're kind of, you're not a student, but you're not the teacher. You're somewhere in between. You're there to help support the students. And you sometimes hold practice groups. So you're you're somewhat of a teacher. And I just remember at that point, I was, I was, they, I was being asked to be a resource coach because I was really developing real skills and I was catching the attention of teachers and they were saying like, hey, you want a resource coach for me? And I was like, I'd love to because I get to take the program all over again. I don't have to pay for it. And I'm in somewhat of a, a supportive role. And I just remember the the fixation that all the students had on technique. I want to learn another technique. And it's like, well, you haven't really learned the first technique or the second one or the third one learn truly learning an NLP technique means you have got to spend a lot of time uh practicing that that technique and with different people in different situations and different problems and uh I, the the best that i can that i can uh, repeat because i didn't come up with this the person who came up with this analogy uh is my friend james Tripp, who also has a youtube channel i just got to see him in london he said when you when you practice chess, especially like the people, professional chess players, they practice the moves of the grandmasters. They practice the moves. They will study the games of previous chess players, you know, grandmasters, big competitions. They practice those moves, but that is not chess. The chess moves, the chess, you know, positions, the strategies, that's not chess. That's what you practice to get really good at chess, but that's what people are doing with NLP. They're practicing the techniques thinking that the techniques are NLP. And it's like, no, it's not. It's the intuitions you cultivate. It's the skills you cultivate. It's the flexibility and the ability to adjust your skills to the situation. But if you're so fixated on technique, you never get out of that.
1: So I'm curious, at what point <clears throat> did you switch from focusing on techniques to focusing on the skill? Because I would assume in the beginning you didn't know and you just went for techniques.
0: I think um, the first year that I studied NLP was so eye-opening, like I went through so many changes and I think I was starting to get that intuitively, but I didn't, I didn't have Mm -hmm. words to it because like I said, Judy was the first one to tell me that. So I took a practitioner training. That was my first. Then I took a second practitioner training. All the while, every single day I was practicing NLP. I got my manual for my first practitioner training the day after when everybody was celebrating, oh, I got my certificate, <laughs> which I wanna address in a minute. Well, when I, when, I, when I got my certification that day, I just, I, and I've said this many times, so people might go, oh, I've heard you say that before. Mm. Underline it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that I didn't know NLP. I knew that the certificate said nothing about my ability mm-hmm. and very little about my knowledge. And so I said to myself, I've been exposed to NLP, I've tried on NLP. Now it's time to truly learn NLP. So I started practicing every single day. And then I took a second practitioner course with a different teacher, which I recommend that as well. I had a journal, a daily journal. At the beginning of the journal, in the morning, I would talk, about, I'd write about what I was going to practice that day, all day, and what I expected out of that. And then at the end of the day, I would write what, what results I got. Even if that was, I didn't get any results.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so doing that, and then, uh, that so this, the institute that I went to for my second practitioner training was also holding a hypnosis training right after that. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, most of NLP is built on hypnosis. I'm going to jump into that. And that was really eye-opening as well, because there are so many principles that come from hypnosis that are carried into NLP knowing their origin, knowing the root of it uh, just really cleared up a lot of, for me. And by the time I was done with that, NLPU was doing their master practitioner training. And so I jumped in to that. And that was the one where like things really took off for me. And I got to the point where I was like, and, and that was around the time that Judy told me that about uh, the skills versus the techniques. And I, by that time I had cultivated real skill because during that master practitioner training, about 75%, so this is one year after the initial practitioner training that i had taken, about 75% of the people who had attended that practitioner training had returned for the master practitioner a year later. And I also had a practice partner who lived in Santa Cruz. Um, he's at the practitioner with me, and that was the, the next year, and we had been practicing together all year. And we were just killing it. I mean, uh, we people wanted to, every time we had a breakout session, people either went straight to my friend or they went straight to me because they saw the results we were getting from techniques that we had never learned, that we were just learning on the spot. Mm-hmm. But we could make them work so well. And people were coming to, to us and saying, how is it you're so much better than us? You have a certificate. We have. I have the same certificate that you do. I took the same training last year that you did. And I was, at first I was a little stumped. I didn't even know. I was just kind of like, um, well, let me think about this. Um, <laughs> and I, I was like, so I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, did you practice at all from last year until now? And they were like, well, no, there's your answer. <laughs> I was like, it, it, this is not something, and it's just so common, so common in NLP. People think, oh, I've got the certificate. That means I know NLP and I don't have to practice anymore. It's like what in in, Anything that you do, is there anything in this world that functions that way? Right. You know, if you take one course in a, in a different language, mm-hmm. are you fluent at that point and you never have to practice? Anyway? No, absolutely yeah. not. If you take, I don't know, uh, a two and a half week course in a martial art, like, are you now a black belt and you're a master? Like, I don't know. It's so strange to me that people think that way. But this is a, another big one. Another big one that uh, people think they they want that certification. They focus so much on certification as if that piece of paper means anything, and it just doesn't. And there, I know there are institutes out there who do actually test people to make sure that they have the skills before they hand them a certificate, but they're very, very rare. It's almost like um, there's, it's just not good business to do that. And that's why when you came to me, Nate... And you said, hey, people are wanting a, a certification program. And I was like, and I resisted it. If you remember, I resisted doing that for the longest time because I saw, um, I didn't want people to focus on a certificate, first of all. Right. Secondly, right. if I handed out a certificate, I didn't want people to think, oh, well, now you don't have to practice anymore because now you have a certificate. It's like, this is an ongoing thing. And so finally, I'm broke. <laughs> you kept coming at me for it because it like, this is what people want. And that's when I said, okay, well, we're going to test them. They're not getting a certificate until they can show me every step of the way. Uh, and this is not just NLP practitioner. This is a the self-concept model. They've got to show me that they can use the self-concept model effectively, every piece of it. And when they can show me that, then, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll call them certified. And uh, so we have one of those programs. But it's unfortunate that, like, that's, that's what people want. And so that's what these programs are going to sell them. They're not selling them on becoming real NLP practitioners and really understanding this stuff. They're selling them on a piece of paper uh, because that's what they want and that's what they want to pay for. It's it's kind of like insurance. I used to sell insurance. It's a hard thing to sell because you're selling something that doesn't actually exist. You're selling a promise. You're selling security. And that's not something you buy off a shelf. It's not, not something you can see. And so to sell that takes a lot of... Uh, you have to get good at selling and you have to be good at persuasion to do that. And so that's the same thing with NLP. It's like people want to feel like they're actually walking away with something. It's like, right. that's the wrong mindset. It's the wrong focus, your ability, your skills, your knowledge, that's your certification. And a piece of paper will never be
2: able to, to tell you that or, or to say that that's what you have. And, and, knowing that. And I think that that's where, you know, I think it, um, as a society, most of us are conditioned going, okay, when I have that, it means that I have it, but that I know it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and so that's that what I love about our work is that that's our commitment, right. When somebody has the, the, um, the certification it's because they've, they've earned it. And then of course, they're sustaining those, those sets. Um, what, what do you think, um, so, so when when you were when you were in the trainings a lot, what did you notice or um, what was common as far as traps were concerned? Uh, where did a lot of people get get stuck? Well, uh,
0: I'm trying to think of the, the first thing I mentioned is the big one: uh, sure. over overemphasis on techniques, sure. uh, not practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the NLP is an experiential thing you don't really learn it unless you experience it so you can't people try to approach it academically and that's probably has a lot to do with our education system that's what we're taught right memorize this information go take a multiple choice test uh and just try to get the answers close enough try to fit you know things as best as they seem to fit and that's not ever going to work with an LP because NLP is experiential. You learn from experiencing it, and there's just no other way uh, to put it. So if you're trying to memorize it, um, you know, like language patterns, like I think that's another one because that hangs people up a lot of times. They skip past the meta model, which is the first NLP model, and it's the one that contains the keys to NLP, generalization, distortion, and deletion. (coughs) And because it's not sexy, and it's not like the Milton model where it's more hypnotic, and even that one, I don't think people really spend a lot of time learning that learning language patterns, the closest thing that I can say to what that's like, it's not exactly, it's not as difficult, but it's close is learning another language. And, and so you've really got to sit down and, and understand, not just memorize, but really understand what the patterns are about. And so I, I remember resource coaching, I master practitioner training. Uh, Mm -hmm. at NLP University alongside other resource coaches who had done every single training that NLPU had offered and had been a resource coach repeatedly, would come back every year. And then like one of them had done this for 10 years. And Robert Diltz is on stage and he's telling uh, the, the students of the master practitioner course, get with your resource coaches and they're going to review the meta model with you because tomorrow we're going to do, he was either calling it the meta model two or the meta model three. I forget which one it was. And I just remember looking at the resource coaches and all of their eyes went, you know, and they looked lost because they did not know the meta model. And it's like, how can you say, you know, NLP, call yourself a master practitioner or even a trainer. Some of these called themselves NLP trainers and not know the meta model. Like that just made no sense to me. And again, so this is, we're kind of leading into the other point that I wanted to make is that most people are taught NLP incorrectly. The reason for that is all you have to do is go through these trainings, get these certifications, and there's even a trainer certification and no one's testing you as to whether or not you really know this stuff. So you can go all through the advanced trainings, and as long as you show up to them, they'll give you a certificate. And some, you don't even have to show up. They'll put your certificate out on a table, and you don't, they don't take role. They may have never seen you the entire week. It doesn't matter. You just come pick up your certificate and walk out. So you have people who are saying, well, I'm a master trainer and don't even know the meta model, the most basic model, the, the the you know the core model of... NLP and they're going out and teaching people because they're certified trainers or certified so-called master trainers and they don't know what they're teaching. And this is one of the reasons why I started my YouTube channel is because I understood that like when I was a resource coach, a lot of times the students would come over to me and say, Hey, can you just explain what the teacher said? And (laughs) I could, because I had an experience with it. So I could Mm -hmm. use other analogies. I could use other metaphors I could give examples from my own life. And then people were like, oh, okay, now, thank you. I understand it you know, now. And I realized that there was probably many, many people out there in the world who didn't really understand these NLP techniques, these NLP processes, and just some of the concepts. And I thought, well, what if I started doing videos like that and started explaining this stuff? Not only will I understand it better, that's the reason why I started teaching is because I wanted to learn it on a deeper level. And then I realized how much I enjoyed teaching but I I wanted to start putting it out there in the world so that people can understand it. And that's one of the biggest compliments I get is, Hey, when I was coming up through my NLP training, I didn't understand anything the teacher was saying. So I kept coming to your videos and Mm -hmm. it was really your videos that taught me NLP. You know, you've heard me gripe about this before. I'm like, well, why, why were you going to them? Why didn't you come to me to learn it? Um, anyway, uh, you have a lot of people out there who are not teaching real NLP. They're just kind of using the manual that they've got and then just making up the rest as they go. Now, here's the other thing when I got with, so, uh, shortly after my master practitioner training, um, no, it was the year later I was in, I did my trainer training. I did reach out to John Grinder, one of the founders of NLP Mm -hmm. and, uh, he didn't like that I reached out to him. It was a strange conversation. He was—I um, could hear him yelling through email, so to speak. And but he finally said, "Well, what do you want?" And uh, you know, I told him I wanted to talk to him, and and he was like, "Who are your teachers?" And I was like, and so I listed out my teachers, and he goes, "They don't know what NLP is." And so I was like, "Well, based on what? Like, what? How do you know they don't know?" And he's like, "They have violated." One of the tenants, the major tenants of NLP, and that is the distinction between process and content. You could also say structure and content. I didn't even know what he was talking about at that time, and so he wasn't very helpful to me. Uh, he, uh, you know, eventually the stream of emails back and forth got more and more contentious because I also i felt a little offended. He was uh, insulting my teachers, and I was like. I actually told him this. I was like, listen, John, <laughs> I can't believe I did this. I was like, you know, NLP is not yours anymore. It belongs to, to the world. And I, you know, I told him that, and I still believe that. Sure. I think I would have not done that at this, at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> I would have not said that. The truth was, even though he was not being very nice, is he was absolutely right. But instead of teaching me what he meant, he just kind of, you know, he shooed me away. Now, later when I met Steve Andreas, shortly afterward, and I said, Hey, can, can you tell me what John was talking about? And so Steve said, yeah, let me show you. And that's what kind of started our, our mentorship.
1: And that's when you understood the difference between instruction and content? Yeah. Wow. He, he and it. you were already done with trainers training?
0: Yeah. I'd, by this Would point, you I'd... say
1: that the difference between instruction and content is one of the basics? or not necessary, because I find it strange th- that there was something you learned yeah. kind of at the end of the journey when that could have probably be so the it was, first stage.
0: It wasn't difficult for me to learn it because I'd had a lot of practice. I think it's difficult to try to just roll out that concept for people who haven't experienced NLP, who haven't mm-hmm. practiced the techniques. You have to have some experience around it. Otherwise, it's just kind of a concept. It's just kind of a floating concept. So once Steve explained it to me, then it was like, okay, well, this makes perfect sense. Now I understand. Now, what John Grinder was complaining about with my teachers is how much they were blending structure, process, and content. And he was saying they're imposing too much content. Their models Mm -hmm. are not true NLP models that they're creating because they're imposing too much content. And then I realized that that was sort of creating the plateau that I found myself in at about that time because I was practicing their models but their models were not universal, which is what NLP models are supposed to be. They're they're meta models, they're models of models. And so there's supposed to be no uh, content imposed on them. Mm -hmm. Now, if there's content imposed on them, there will be limitations Mm -hmm. because basically you're getting that person's sort of personality imposed on you. And at a certain point, that's not going to work for you. So once I started uh, to understand that better, then I dropped those models and I started mm-hmm. adapting Steve's models because they were free of content. And I even pushed on John Grinder about that later because I saw him in a grocery store <laughs> later in Santa <laughs> Cruz and, um, I, I got my, uh, email, uh, exchange going back and forth. And when I told him I understood, and I even used names of my past teachers what was wrong about their teaching he said there's hope for you yet was what he said and then i went on to say that steve andreas had mentored me Mm
1: -hmm.
0: he said nothing about steve andreas at that point he said nothing and what i understood when he said nothing because any other teacher i would bring up he would bash them no they don't know what Mm nop is mm -hmm. when i brought up steve quiet he said nothing (laughs) and i went to steve and i said steve i think john Grinder just gave you the best compliment he's ever going to give (laughs) you He didn't bash you. And so that told me I was in the right place. I was in good hands whenever I was being mentored by Steve and Steve's whole theory of, you know, NLP, but not just NLP is, but how we make sense of reality is based in scope and category. And that is all about, uh, detaching structure from content. And, uh, and then I started practicing self-concept model, which is a very, very clean model with no content imposed on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you really have to practice these models to fully understand them, to fully understand that difference between structure and content.
1: I find it interesting and that you think that it's such a hard concept to understand because for me, it's it's kind of very basic. Like content is literally the description itself that the person is saying, you know, and structure is like how it is, it's like a template. It's a square, it's a circle, it's blue, it's orange, and content is the story. And I don't know, I didn't find that difficult Maybe the self-concept model is very obvious. This is template, this is structure. And then whenever you start describing stuff, okay, this is content. But with the self-concept model, the difference, it's so obvious and I never so, struggled with that. Uh,
0: so what you're saying is all correct. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's very basic to start off with, but somebody from our group asked a really good question. And she was asking it in terms of scope and category, not structure versus content, but it's kind of the same question. So if you have a a picture of an apple or if you're imagining an apple Mm -hmm. in your mind and you're seeing it like an apple looks maybe red or green, you know, or and maybe even in your mind, it's like actual size. So is the color of that apple content or structure?
1: I would say content because it's how what, what type of color of an apple I impose on it. I would say content, my apple is a red apple. Structure, my image of the apple is colorful. It's not black and white, it's got color. Okay. So that's how I would separate those. So
0: far, so good. Thank you. Uh, now, what if we turn that apple black and white?
1: That's structure. Okay. I play with the structure. I remove colors.
0: So, But you're still seeing something that represents either white or black, right?
1: Yeah, but it's non-colors, so it's like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it gets, a little, it gets a little dicey. It gets a little hard to, yeah. to, to figure out exactly. So what I told our student who was asking this question, because it was a very good question, mm-hmm. is that regardless, you're still seeing a color. And so if that's white or that's black, that's still a color. And so technically that's still content. However, if you put your focus on changing the colors, that focus of changing the colors is focusing on structure. The color itself is the content. Yeah. And so that is a good distinction. When you think about NLP, you think about representations is it's where are you putting your attention? And in NLP, we put our attention on the structure because the structure is universal. And you can let the other person you're coaching or you can and if you're using it on yourself, you can fill in the content. We work in structure. And when you detach the structure from the content, this is how we can overcome limiting beliefs. This is how we can overcome uh, deep rooted pain. You know, it's like, well, you know, you you don't want to do something different than what you're doing because you're afraid. You're afraid of more pain or you're afraid of failure or something like that well when you take that representation and you try to move the content it's like trying to think positively you mm-hmm. know whenever you're in pain or you're you you know you're upset about something and somebody just comes along and says well think positively well that's an example of trying to impose content and you might go either you know you might tell them to f off or something like that because you know they're 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 hitting your con- they're mm-hmm. taking their content and they're trying to slam it into your content and it's not matching and then you feel like they're not listening to you this is also um, you could think about it in terms of rapport as well, or connecting with people or somebody says, well, you should be more positive. And then the person goes, Oh yeah, I should be more positive. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's still, it's, it's content slamming up against content.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But if we took that representation and we looked at, well, what is in the structure that is communicating to me to make meaning of this in a negative way, Mm because it's the structure that really tells you not the content. This is where we get confused. And this is why NLP is so amazing is because it's counterintuitive. We think that the content of our internal representations or the content of our memories is what causes us to feel a certain way, but that's not true. It's the structure that communicates to you how to feel about it. So you can alter the structure, restructure it, and actually turn it into something positive. And because you're not slamming content against content, you're just changing structure. The meaning of the content has to change. We're really getting into some deep stuff I did not <laughs> expect to get into <laughs> uh, so you know i would say there's probably only there's probably less than one percent of nlp teachers out there that understand what i just explained and that's not because i'm saying i'm so great or anything like that it's because i finally was taught by someone who had it right who taught it to me right i'm not claiming ownership over any of this understanding other than i listened and i i I practiced you know uh, steve I credit Steve with almost everything because I so much of what I had known about NLP. This is a crazy thing. I had been taught by world-renowned NLP teachers, so these were some of them dating back to the development of NLP. So you would think that those people would have it down. And John was John Grinder was like, "No, they don't." Uh, Steve was one of the few. Like I said, he didn't criticize, and I would credit Steve with being one of those few. Early teachers who really, really had it down, and then that's one end of the spectrum. So, like you could get teaching from a world-renowned teacher and still learn it wrong. Like the swish pattern. The swish pattern is taught incorrectly by, I would say, 99% of the NLP teachers out there. No matter where, no matter you know how far back you go, um, and you know the NLP teachers who started were there in in, in Santa Cruz in the 70s some of them are still teaching it incorrectly.
1: Just to uh, make a parenthesis there, if you want to learn it correctly, I will (laughs) leave a link in the description so you can watch a video where Damon explains it.
0: And again, I'm not taking credit for that. That was, again, uh, Steve Andreas. So if it's that hard to find good NLP content, people are teaching it correctly. sure. Well, on the other end of that spectrum, you have these people on TikTok who are claiming to be teaching NLP techniques. And they're not, they, they are anything but like, there's nothing neurolinguistic about what they're teaching. A lot of it is the secret and the law of attraction mm-hmm. and they're calling it NLP. And it's, it's just not, and, and so this this really bothers me because, you know, if you wanna learn NLP, I mean, if you wanna learn law of attraction and all that other stuff, that's fine. I, that's your business. Uh, I don't find that stuff useful and I don't think it works. And in fact, I think it, it kind of goes in the, the opposite direction, but, Have at it if that's your thing. Don't call it NLP. Don't call it NLP. It's not NLP. And people are misinforming so many people out there. And you just, you know, you can't stop it because it's TikTok and it's an algorithm. And it's just shooting this stuff out there in all directions. And people go, what's NLP? I'm going to look it up on TikTok. And they get all this nonsense. The same happens on YouTube. I, I see people all the time. I saw this guy one time. It was a very popular video. In fact, you know, I was just getting into YouTube. I was looking up what NLP videos were out there. And it's this guy who says he's using NLP and he's going to go out and try to get a kiss from a woman. And that's, you know, using NLP. And he just walks out there and he just goes up to women and says, can I get a kiss? Can I get a kiss? Can I get a kiss? (laughs) And then they're like throwing up little uh, subtitles or things up there saying, you know, trying to relate it to an NLP technique. Mm. And it's like he's not doing anything NLP. He's just asking. And he's just playing the numbers is all he is all he's Mm -hmm. doing. And it was so ridiculous and so full of nonsense. And I was like, this is the NLP content out there. This is what, uh, you know, people are watching and going, oh, okay, that's NLP. And so, so many people have the wrong idea about when NLP actually is. And that's why it's not working (laughs) because if you try this stuff, it's most likely not going to work. And then you're going to think, oh, well that NLP stuff, it doesn't work. And it's like well right. you actually have to go and practice real nlp and test it and then say whether or not it works and you're not gonna i'm not saying that every TikToker out there is not you know maybe there are some but i, I can say for certain every single nlp technique i saw on TikTok was not nlp um on youtube you have a a better chance at, at finding uh good content there but um yeah don't don't try to learn nlp on TikTok. and the other one is like this is the one i hate so much is oh you can tell if someone's lying if they look up into the Mm -hmm. right whenever they're whenever they're uh answering your question it's like no no and no it doesn't work that way right and it was even taken to the point where uh they actually did a study to see if that was true a scientific study and then people come back and say oh it's been empirically proven that that's not true. So NLP has been debunked and it's like, I don't know a single one of my teachers who ever said there's not a single one of my teachers who ever said you can tell if someone's lying if they look up into the right because they're constructing an image. Not a single one of my teachers ever said that. And I've never said that. It's just
2: not true. So you have you have the, uh, the majority of the information has inaccuracies in it and then you have this learn to do ratio. Right. That people seem to have a little bit out of balance, like learn to practice, you know, or you study versus, you know, like read it, some information versus apply it um, some practice of some kind. Um, do you have a, a heuristic for somebody? And in, in, of course, it's easy for you to to um, to ask someone a few questions and to determine how well they understand NLP. If somebody was brand new and they're committed to learning. what's a heuristic that you would give them to help them navigate um, finding the right mentor or teacher? Oh, that's hard. Um,
0: I I think um, if you know even just a little bit about the meta model, Mm -hmm. I think if uh, you could ask them a few questions about the meta model, and I wouldn't get on their case, like, because sometimes I forget the exact names for the exact patterns or something like that. But if you said to that person uh, something like, Hey, if I if I say something, uh, just a sentence, would you mm. metamodel it for me and just mm. kind of and just ask the questions that would be a way of you know metamodeling? And we can do this right now. You can just throw out a sentence, and I can metamodel that sentence, and that would be one way that you could tell that okay, the person actually
2: knows a bit of what they're talking about. Like just throw any sentence out there, and I'll I'll show you what I mean. Okay, so um, I dropped my kids off at school today.
0: Okay. And uh, what exactly do you mean by drop? Did you actually drop them on the floor, or did you pick them up and then go put them in a different place?
2: We we drove in the car to school. And okay, I, and how many kids are we talking about? Actually, everyone goes in different directions to different places, so actually, only brought one. Okay, and who is everyone? Uh, Avery, Maya.
0: LPL, yeah. okay and uh, what kind of school are we talking about is it a grade school is it a private school is it
2: um, a language school is it a karate school <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's considered a choice school so that uh, there's a lottery and certain grades that are involved but it's a public school okay and are these actually
0: your kids because there's a presupposition there that you're a father but I don't know that to be true I'm definitely yeah, I'm definitely a, a father of four girls. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, that's a little silly and it's out of context, but it it should give you an, an understanding of like when somebody says a sentence like that, mm-hmm. right away we just sort of create a map of what that means. And this is where we we take a lot of things for granted. We 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 make up a lot of things. And so when you work when you when you practice the meta model a lot you realize you're missing a lot of information so it's not really clear and a lot of the stuff you know you're making up i mean how many times have people told you things and you made assumptions about what they were saying and it turned out to be absolutely incorrect so the meta model is really good about saying okay i'm not going to pretend to know any of these things i'm going to ask the questions and what that does is it causes the person to go into their own deep structure. So like you had to actually probably would probably start to happen for you as I was asking these questions, you probably saw the school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You probably saw your kids in your mind, especially after when you started naming them. Mm-hmm. And you had some sort of representation in your mind of what it's like for you to be a father. You know, when you think about being a father. So you're as I was asking these questions, you're taking the surface structure and be, and you have to go, "Oh, okay, now I have to go and like reconnect with some of the sensory based information." to answer my questions and as you're doing that you're you're it's actually coming up for you you see you see these representations you see the school you see your kids you probably saw the car you drove them in and because i'm starting to see it as you're explaining it to me you know like okay he's not picking them up and then physically and like with your hands and dropping them you're actually getting into a car you're driving you know and so like now we're 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 taking what would look like on the surface as an impoverished map of your explanation, and we're filling it in and enriching it with some of the details that were missing.
2: Great, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that uh, example. By the way, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so there's there's concept and there's practice. How would how would someone go about? You know, what's that ratio? you mentioned some of the things that you were doing in the very beginning, as far as journaling, how would, you know, how would someone know when they're studying, when they should study more, when they should practice more, you know? Well, I think that uh, we did a, we did another podcast on this uh,
0: about uh, NLP really being about 99% practice and 1% theory. And so it's, you study to kind of know where you're going or you look at a, an exercise or a process it's really good if you can see a demonstration of it done well and i've done that on my uh youtube channel and there are uh steve actually did uh plenty of demonstrations that you can find on youtube as well Mm -hmm. and so it's good to kind of get an um a vision of what this is supposed to look like when it's done well and then you go and practice it practice it with as many people as you possibly can and, and so you just repeat that process you' know, you're gonna have to read something to kind of know you know what you're doing uh, see it done practice it and just keep rinsing and repeating like I think that's the other thing where, where people in a, in a training they're like well I don't want to practice that same technique I just did that already it, it feels boring to them you know so they don't want to do it over and over again but it's that repetition I mean everything that you learn takes repetition and to make it, interesting. I always found it interesting. The repetition didn't bother me because I felt like every time I did it, I was like, well, what am I going to learn now? What am I going to see that was different? Or seeing my own progress and, and, and experiencing my own intuitions being cultivated, like that was very exciting for me. I think the other thing that we do too, when we're trying to learn something is we take the most important piece out of it, which is play and fun get really, really serious. You know, like, oh, I got to learn this. I don't know, especially we, people who want to be coaches and they want a coaching business and, you know, maybe they hate their job. And so they're going like, I, you know, I got to learn this. I got to learn this really fast and I got to get good at it. It's like, you're actually slowing yourself down that way. Uh, NLP is explorative. Uh, it's, it can be very playful. It can be a lot of fun. And I've always found that the people who became really good at it, always had a sense of humor about it, or always had a sense of playfulness, and, and treated it as an exploration, because that's exactly what it is. You're exploring your map of reality, or you're exploring someone else's map of reality, and then you're trying different things on. I don't know. I, f- I find that to be a lot of fun. I don't expect everyone to find it that way. But if you're inclined to learn NLP from what you've seen of it, chances are you will have a lot of fun with this. And that will speed up your learning you know, and, and the excitement and the adventure of exploration. Like, you know, you, you're exploring an inner world, yes. You know, uh, a lot of people like to travel, right? And the reason for that is because it's an exploration. You're, you're seeing different things. You're seeing new things. Treat this, uh, your practice, as you're doing the same thing. You're exploring your inner world. And then when you get to practice with people, you're exploring their reality. You're exploring their world. And that's just like traveling. That's just like taking a trip. I love to travel, too. Uh, so you can take an internal trip or you can take a, an external trip. So before we uh, I mean I guess I could go on and on about that, but uh, I also wanted to get to another point here, which is when you're using NLP for something in particular, one of the things I think gets missing is having a results based mindset. And, and this is what's really important about this is it, it makes you more adaptable now with this reaction video that i'm gonna do uh one of the things this woman was talking about and criticizing nlp for is that it was anything but results based and but she was re- she was reacting to a TikTok and uh a, a process that some TikToker was doing claiming that it was nlp and really what that process was about was to make you feel good that's all it was it was like a, I don't know an internal massage or something like that, or just making you feel good about yourself. That's not really what NLP is. I mean that that is going to happen when you're achieving more, when you're fulfilling your potential, feeling good about yourself is pretty much automatic. It's a byproduct of that. But you want you want results, and so the what I like to call it is the should versus accepting. You know, we get caught up in this like, well, this pro, I'm doing this process. It's an NLP process, and it should work. If it's not working, you need to first accept that it's not working and try something else. Not all processes and techniques are appropriate for every person and for every situation. And so when you are at a, when you're focused on results, you're not focused on the technique. You're not focused on the technique having to work. You're focused on, well, I got to get that result. Okay. This technique didn't work. Throw it out. Try the next one. That one doesn't work. Try the next one. And If you watch Bandler work or you watch John Grinner work, if if you see any uh, demonstrations that they're doing, that's exactly what they're doing. Um, Bandler has a way of going about it where he does a lot of information gathering. So the first process he tries often works because he spends so much time in gathering information. He's pretty sure he knows uh, the right technique. But if it doesn't, you'll see he doesn't hold to it and be like, this has got to work or he doesn't keep... You know pounding the person with the technique he throws it out and starts on a different one and grinder was kind of he's kind of the opposite he slams techniques you know i, don't know, I shouldn't say slams he throws every technique he can until something fits and then it, then he gets the result there's no one right way to do it the thing is is just not to fixate on techniques it's kind of going back to the first point that i was talking about you want that flexibility the techniques are there for you to learn nlp to cultivate your intuitions to develop your skills the techniques themselves, you don't want to put that much emphasis on. You want to learn them correctly. That is true. If you learn them incorrectly, you're not going to cultivate the right skill and intuition. And so this is where we get into the whole area of like, well, you know, they they tested, they scientifically tested this NLP technique, and it, it doesn't work, or it doesn't work enough, or you know, it, and it's like you're you're missing the point. You know, it's like uh, an armbar or a sidekick or a punch. If you isolate that one thing. And you say, well, okay, yeah, if the person walks into it, you know, they're, they're, you're, gonna, you're gonna get it if you try to isolate it like that. But when you're in an actual fight, you're not, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna use whatever is available to you, whatever techniques you've learned. And if the arm bar is not working out, you're gonna try the punch. If the punch isn't working out, you're gonna try the sidekick. You know, it's like when you're dealing with something as dynamic as that kind of interaction, you wanna have lots of techniques. You wanna be very skilled you, and you wanna be able to uh, move from one to the next. So trying to isolate a technique and say and test it and say, well, it, it's got to work or it doesn't work. It's like you, you're missing, you're completely missing the point. The other thing I want to mention about results-based is why is NLP so popular in sales and business and even seduction? It's because they get it gets results. And when you're talking about sales, business, and even seduction, there is a verifiable way to know, is it working? <laughs> you either get the sale or you don't. Your business is either growing or it's not. You either get the phone number or the date or you don't. There's a finality to it. And real uh, real NLPers focus that way. They they like to put they like to test these things in those areas because it's result-based. And if you don't get the result, you try something else. And so this is you know the exact opposite of woo-woo. This is the exact opposite of the secret and the law of attraction. Like we need to know what actually gets results. And that's what NLP was based on. It was based on they took some. They looked at therapists who were actually getting results, not who were mired in theory on on psychotherapy. It was which ones are getting results, and let's see what it is they're doing, and let's code that. Then take that code, transfer it to someone else who has no training as a therapist, and see if we can they can get it to work uh, by working with someone else. And then it worked. And so it's it's really about the results. And if anybody tells you anything different about NLP or it's a process that you can't know for sure if there's an actual result that you, you end up with, it's probably not NLP. And I'll say one more thing um, that, again, focusing on feeling good, feeling confident rather than actually changing your behavior. Again, uh, that's the wrong way to go about NLP. And if, if someone is trying to teach an NLP technique that is based on just making you feel good versus actual behavioral change. Mm-hmm. Probably not NLP, probably not. And again, you will feel good when you do NLP, when you get the results and you, you change. And you know, I have not been depressed since uh, I started my NLP training and it doesn't mean that I haven't had down times or I haven't felt sad or disappointed or any of those things. I, I'm, I'm a human being, I still feel all the ranges of emotions but I've structured, I've restructured. They call it reprogramming. Kind of don't like that word as much as I like restructuring. I've restructured uh, generalizations that I make about myself, especially and about the world, in such a way that as if I go down, I'm coming right back up. It's it's not, you know we're not meant to stay down. The uh, depression is a hyper focus on content that is sad to you, whatever it is. And it's the structure that holds that into place. The structure is what holds your fixation on it and makes it feel like it's certain or inevitable, which will, of course, depress anybody. And so when you restructure that information, like I'm not changing it in the sense that I'm pretending that that information is not there anymore or that stuff didn't happen. All of the horrible things, no, nothing really horrible has ever, has really happened to me, but all the depressing things that have ever happened to me, I don't, deny any of it it's all still there it's just been structured in such a way that i don't fixate on it i fixate on where i'm at now the present and where i'm going and and what do i want to do and you know um overcoming solving problems and really enjoying my life and so it's it's been restructured and and so that's how nlp works and i just i don't know (laughs) felt like i i really wanted to get up on my soapbox and talk about this uh because there's just so much misinformation out there uh, about NLP and it's and then it's getting a you know a really bad reputation. It has had a bad reputation for other reasons, and it I will even be the first to say that it was well earned and deserved. And uh, what you got to just look at NLP is it's not a system. It's not a ethical or, or moral system. It's amoral. There's there's it doesn't tell you what's right and wrong, and that's that's not the function of it. Um, you can find what's right and wrong and ethics and morals and all those things and other things. And I think we should. Like I'm not saying we shouldn't have morals and ethics, but the closest NLP comes to such things is values, but they don't even tell you what values to have. You know, so it's it's your own values. But I, I really do believe that unless you're a sociopath, all of your values are good uh, in general. And you just want to make sure that your strategies for fulfilling those values are ethical and moral, like meaning you, you're not hurting other people uh, to get what you want. And in fact, uh, I love this saying by Zig Ziglar, you can have everything you want if you help other people get what they want. And I just, I, I, I structure my practice and uh, the way that I uh, do NLP with that alignment. You know, if um, I like to help people get what they want to the point where it almost feels like I'm getting it too. And so that's very rewarding, and it's very motivating. And so uh, that keeps me going in that in that direction of not just getting what I want, but also helping other people get what they want.
2: Well, thanks for sharing all that today. Um, we, we covered a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, Yulia, um, how would someone get access to notes or summaries of what Damon was talking about today?
1: Just check the description.
2: That simple. <laughs> <laughs> uh you got anything else you want to add or you nate no but it was it was nice to uh it's nice to catch up today definitely all right well if you want uh good nlp
0: information i am tooting my own horn uh (laughs) but i worked really hard for it uh because i really wanted to get good accurate nlp information out there in the world and youtube is the way that i chose to do it because it's huge and pretty much everyone in the world has uh access to it, maybe not everybody, but most most places do. And so, you know, check out my videos. Uh, when you put questions in the comments, I always answer them. Um, I always respond to the comments. And so uh, please do, if you have questions, I, I love helping people out on this. I love uh, at least moving people in the right direction.